Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pure Football Podcast. And as ever, I've been joined by my co-host Owen Brown. Owen, how you doing? Hi, Gavin. Um, I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks, really good. I wanted to open up with just a really quick question for you. Um, who do you think is a better right back, Sean Clare or me? <laughs> um, it's got to be you, based on his performance at the weekend, right? Yeah. Oh my God. So let's just get straight into that. Um, Hearts uh, were defeated three-two at home by Motherwell at Tynecastle, and, oh, uh, where do we start with this one? Do you want to give me some of your thoughts on this game? Sure, why not? Um, well, first thought, uh, two interesting sponsors. So, Hearts have Save the Children, and Motherwell have the no-sponsor approach this season. Um, so, I thought that was kind of interesting, this kind of uh, quirky aspect to this. In terms of the game, um, well, yeah, a bit of a disaster for Hearts, right? I mean, this is them now bottom on just two points, but um, a really, really good result for Motherwell. That's them in third. I think that's three wins in a row. They've got 11 goals in five games. Um, I think the thing that struck me um, initially uh, was Hearts' team selection. So, through the spine, you've got Christoph Berra, who's 34. You've got Whelan, who's 35. You've got McLean up front, who's 37. Um, then you've also got, um, as a contrast, uh, Brandon, who's 21. Hickey, who's 17. Irving, who's 19. So although the average age um, probably looks fine, um, when you kind of look at it in detail, there's a real lack of peak age kind of key players in that team, and that was kind of concerning for me. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the game? Anything you want to kind of pick out? You, you've already... Um, suggested that Sean cleared a, a pretty bad game and you know I'd have to kind of agree with that seemed like in some key moments he was found uh, wanting yeah so I think this full game Hearts defensively just looked like a total mess um, I was really um, you know to, to focus in on the clear one that that full goal was pathetic from you know every every aspect of it how the you know how the ball is able to how clear lets it bounce um, into that sort of awkward space. Um, there's no real... Com- uh, Colin Doyle, he, he sort of comes out, but then doesn't come out. Um, and it's like Claire doesn't know where um, Hilton is um, when when the ball breaks as well. Um, I think that for, you know, go to the first goal now, I think the defending from the corner was really poor. Um I think Berra's sort of nudged off the uh, out of position really easily by Scott, and it allows Gallagher to come in with a, you know, a good header. I felt that was um, Berra was almost kind of Charlie Mulgrew esque the way yeah. he was kind of too focused on uh, getting into a wrestling match and it kind of um, shoved into irrelevance. Um, I, th- I think Sean Clare was maybe sort of at fault for that as well. I think kind of Gallagher was partly his man there. I may have that wrong. It's difficult to tell. The footage wasn't that good in terms of. Um, the way the camera turned to be able to get a good view of things but um, yeah um, carry on what were you saying about that set piece yeah so it was just it just felt like it was you know something that you think Hearts would be good at they just really weren't um, and uh, yeah it just felt really easy for for Motherwell to get that opportunity I mean as soon as Berra missed the, the header it was there was no Gallagher had a clean run in um, so I'm not sure who was picking him up directly but it was just really poor, and again, I think you know, if we look at focusing on the, on all the goals specifically, um, you know, Seedorf's goal, which was an outstanding strike from Seedorf. Let's not take that away, but the passage of play of how that goal happens is dreadful, absolutely dreadful. Um, I mean, Ick Piazu's slack pass in the in the middle of the park, which gives 
Seedorf something like 30 yards of open space to just run into. Um, I'm not too sure about what the the heart structure was like there. I'm not too sure why um, you know the fullback was so advanced. Well, it was a gamble, right? I mean, they thought that they were on the break, and then you know the ball gets turned over and they get caught out. So I'm not making an excuse, but you know that's um, I guess why these things happen. You know, Brandon or whoever it was at right back is thinking he can get involved in an attack which they, they kind of have to try to at that point. Um, but yeah, um, led to a bit of a mess and incredible strike by Seedorf. Yeah, I just, and there was, you know, so many opportunities for Mother in this game. Um, so yeah, I, I think from a, a Hearts perspective, uh, sorry, perspective, you've got to be really worried, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess um, there, there, there's not much to take away positively from this game. Maybe, um, you know, the, the, the young Loney Messino that came on scored a, a brilliant goal, looks really technically gifted. So that's a positive to take away. But given the amount of defensive errors, not just for the goals, but there were some other pretty good chances for Motherwell where they got in behind the defence and so on and lots of space in midfield. You've got to think, given that Levine kind of indicated during the international break that they would go away and really focus on defending, and he thought that was something he could fix. Well, um, looks like the beatings will continue um, because there's no real improvement. Um, and yeah, you, you have to wonder. I mean, the next match is the Edinburgh Derby away to Hibs, so this is a kind of um, real crunch period for um, Hearts. I, I I did want to also say, just um, in terms of Motherwell, I thought that. Um, one of the things that was kind of um, key to Motherwell was they got quite a settled midfield with really clear individual roles between Donnelly, Campbell and Polworth. Um, slightly different roles to last season for Goran, Campbell and Turnbull, but still really well defined. Um, I think that's you know something that perhaps even Hearts could kind of take away, you know, having that kind of defined core um, and that kind of structure. Um, also thought, I think I've been quite critical um, on the podcast about Donnelly's passing from that role at sometimes earlier in the season. I thought there were some nice instances of good passing from him, so I just wanted to highlight that. There was one in particular where there was a chance for, um, I think it was Cole who'd got in behind um, uh, Berra, but the passing kind of through the middle between the three midfielders really managed to evade the Hearts midfield and it was kind of partially down to really nice ball from Donnelly so just wanted to highlight that yeah, I guess I guess Donnelly is someone that we've been critical of and I still think he could have done a lot better for Hearts second goal um, he sort of just watches um, Messino uh, run away from him uh, originally when Messino passes the ball and then his tackle in to try and win the ball was really poor I felt um, but you're right I think Donnelly you know he, he I think he does deserve a lot of plaudits. I'm just not sure if uh, that defensive holding midfield position is the right position for him. But fair play to Motherwell. They've you know they've started the season incredibly well, and uh, yeah, I think that it's it's exciting for Stephen Robinson. He's building a, a pretty good team. He's doing a lot of the things that we like to see. You know, the the players that he brings in are of a, a good age profile. Um, you don't see them bringing in loads of you know thirty plus players. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see to see how they get on. Did 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 their did their recruitment pretty early as well in the summer? You know, knew what positions they had to strengthen, knew you know what they were doing by the sounds of things. Um, there was a maybe there still is a wee bit of uncertainty as to who is going to be the definite centre forward and, and who's going to be tasked there, but it doesn't seem to be holding them back um, at the moment. Um, so good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess. Staying on a, a bit of a positive um, from a pure football perspective, uh, my guy Angelo Alesso, 
has now done uh, four clean sheets in a row and has, has won two uh, games in the trot and with a comfortable 2-0 win over Hibs. What was your sort of key takeaways from this game, Owen? Uh, well, it's really encouraging for Kilmarnock, isn't it? I mean, you're right, that's two wins in a row. This is their first home win in the league. Um, that puts them up to sixth place. Um, I think, you know, it's maybe even been a worry for them how few goals they've been scoring. So they um, doubled their goal tally in this match the weekend, uh, leaping from two goals scored to four. Um, but that's an improvement. And I certainly seemed, based on, I only saw highlights of this, didn't see the whole game, but it seemed like they deserved a win. Um, I guess, you know, they've got a kind of um, defence in place with Brunescu and goals, O'Donnell, Del Fabro, Finlay and Hamelainen. Um and that's a clean sheet for them together, which will be really, you know, confidence boosting and encouraging. Um with, you know, Broadfoot and Taylor obviously moving on. So I, I think they'll be really pleased to have that kind of in place. Um I think it was good um to see Stephen O'Donnell maybe looking quite confident despite the difficulties he had for Scotland. Um, he played some nice stuff early on, I thought, with Mackenzie. There was kind of quite direct, quite confident looking play. And then there was a brilliant pass which kind of bisected um, Naismith and Porteous for the, the opener for Miller. Um, so I, I thought that was nice to see him kind of bouncing back. The other positive, uh, I think, for um, Kilmarnock was maybe another summer signing, El McCreaney. Um, I thought he looked really good. Um, he got a goal, obviously, but apart from that, he also looked like he was really active in terms of kind of pressing the opposition, making interceptions, making tackles. There was a kind of key um, moment where Porteous uh, came out of defence with the ball and El McCreaney uh, robbed him of it, essentially, and, and played in uh, Miller, who I think not Meg Naismith and then you know had a reasonably good chance. So lot, lots of positives, I think, to take from Comarac in terms of um, how they played, but also, obviously, the result, really good thing to take away. Um, and quite a big test for them next, away to Celtic, but um, they might be feeling quite positive. Um, you know, what about you? Yeah, obviously, I've been you know a big supporter of Alesso, albeit, you know, it's, it's maybe came through... Um, a lot of people writing him off after two games. Um, I really wanted him to succeed and we're starting to see that. And what I was just going to touch on there, so we spoke about Motherwell getting the recruitment done really early. Kilmarnock probably suffered from getting the recruitment done really late um, with a lot of the players coming in in the sort of last week or so of the, the transfer window. But we're st- sorry, we're starting to see um, you know, some positive signs. I think Del Fabro looks like a a pretty good partner beside um, Stuart Finlay and, and definitely looks more mobile than Kurt Broadfoot and I don't think he'll be as prone to uh, maybe lapses in concentration or silly decision making like Broadfoot maybe was um, and Hamelain in at left back I think he deserves a bit of credit as well so he got called up uh, I think it was to the was it the US under 21s um, so I think that that's something that you know Kilmarnock fans should be excited about and I know he's only on loan but um it's a it's a pretty good you know recognition um, for for that player, um, and I, I just one final thing I want to touch on we we sort of worried about Brophy in terms of his goals and he had a couple of chances in this game again where uh, I felt that he could have done better. Um, do you think that he maybe needs a bit of a a break from the starting lineup? Do you think he's maybe under a bit too much pressure and maybe trying to force things? Um, I don't know. Um, I think maybe he just needs to play through it a bit. I think he's probably, based on the last few seasons that we've seen, Brophy's probably always going to be a guy that shoots a lot, perhaps from not very smart locations. 
we'll see if he can maybe be coached to improve upon that. But for now, um, I think you know he just needs to keep getting in position, keep going for it, um, and and he may get you know some goals. He was very unlucky with some things against Hamilton, I think. Um, so yeah, and there was some chances in this one. I mean, there was one where he got it quite badly wrong uh, at the near post, and there was another one maybe where the one that hit the outside of the post that you know it wasn't really a shooting opportunity. So maybe I mean I, I don't think it's unfair to say he's snatching at chances and things like that, but that's sort of his normal. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of. Uh, a lack of confidence or anything like that. He's just the type of guy that will shoot a lot from lots of locations. So I think he just needs to keep, keep plugging through. I mean, they don't have a lot of other options, right? They've got well, Osman Sow on the bench. Um, I don't know if like Miller can maybe play through the centre at all or whether like somebody like Harvey St. Clair can be some sort of more mobile um, upfront option. I, I think that's unlikely. So, you know, um, they probably can't afford for Brophy to have much of a break. I don't know. You need to ask him, maybe uh, see what he says. But I think uh, just keep playing through it, keep doing the things. But you know, maybe if he can get a bit of coaching about um, you know shot locations, maybe get some other people closer to him, so there are more options for him when he's you know got the ball in a difficult area, so he's he's not just resorting to shooting. Okay. Uh, what about from a, a Hibs perspective then? Paul Heckenbottom uh, seems to be that the wheels are coming off a bit, yeah. um, so Hecky might not be at the wheel for much longer. Well. I mean, I guess the question would be whether the wheels were ever fully on. I think, you know, we had, towards the end of last season, when there was a kind of incredible string of results in a row, we, we had kind of pointed to some underlying numbers then, which suggested that, you know, the results were brilliant, um, you know, absolutely fantastic, but there were maybe some concerns um, about what might happen if things just continued as they were. Um, I, I think, again, we, we can see there's still some deficiencies in the team. Um, that is... I, I I think that's three losses and a draw in the last four games, and obviously they've got Hearts at home um, in the next match. As you know, as we touched on after speaking about Hearts Motherwell, that's a incredibly important game. It could be a decider in terms of managerial jobs. I, I think um, so. Again, the midfield for Hibs, um, you know, there's a lack of um, any kind of defensive midfielder that's the answer for them. Really, um, we've even got Marvin Bartley. Um, you know, commenting on it now. Uh, I saw a kind of interview with him, recently departed, maybe much missed in, in some ways by Hibs fans. Um, I also, I think we would have to kind of, both you and I would have to throw up our hands um, about the fact that we probably said that Jason Naismith might be a bit of an answer or at least an improvement at right back. And also we were really looking forward to Porteous coming back in at centre-back. They were both in against Kilmarnock. Um, I didn't think that they looked... Great. There was a, you know, the goal for Miller. Um, there was issues for them there. Um, there was some other parts during the game where Naismith was a little bit posted missing, and and Porteous made a couple of errors. Porteous also, I think, was at fault for the Croatian goal. Um, against the Scotland under twenty ones. However, um, I, th- I think it will be a positive for both those guys to be in long term. They just maybe need to sort out the midfield, get more structure in there, stop being passed through and countered against. Also, um. They're not scoring very many goals, um, so they've uh, what well, only got four goals, I think, in five matches. Um, I think that um, Canberry may be struggling against more physical defenders. Um, you know, might be an issue, particularly when there's maybe not this type of service that you would require. Um, and 
yeah, so it's not looking good. What what about you? What what do you think? Yeah, I guess I think it's that uh, sort of sixth position that's really hurting Hibs. Uh, I don't think Josh Vela looks the sort of enforcer that they maybe need to um, to support the, the back four, which looks quite fragile. Um, I think Portis and Naismith in time will, will will come good, but I think there's definitely a lack of uh, cohesion between the two of them uh, in this opener. And you've seen that on a couple of occasions where, um, you know, Portis moved uh, advanced forward with the ball a couple of times and Naismith was a little bit, you know, higher up, not maybe recognising that uh, Portis was way out of position. And then also the goal... Um, you know, Portis, he's just all over the place for that goal uh, from Stephen O'Donnell's pass. But, yeah, so definitely some alarm bells at Hibs. Um, so moving on then. So we'll go to Neil Lennon and Celtic, who have now won five games on the trot um, with a, a 1-0 victory at New Douglas Park, uh, if that's what it's called this week. Um, and, uh, yeah, talk me through this one. So Celtic got off to a really bright start. Yeah, um, a really bright start, both in terms of scoring, but also the the play. Um, so I thought Celtic looked really, really good early on. Very quick, very positive, um, good structure. Um, it seemed like it, it was a very strong team that they had out, and incredibly so for um, a week where they've got European football and they were playing Hamilton away. Um, they, you know, I guess you know some players had had a rest after the international break, and you know everybody was kind of raring to go. I'd thought maybe they might rest some of the players that had played for Scotland, like McGregor or Forrest, but no. Um, and it essentially it was a, a 4-2-3-1 um, with El Yunusi making um, his first start on the left side, um, but being quite mobile, um, moving across the pitch quite a lot. And McGregor and um, Brown as a double pivot um, and Bolingoli being very high up um, on the left um, as fullback. And at times, essentially, just Julian and Ayer left back to deal with uh, Hamilton's um, attackers. Hamilton played with two up top, um, which kind of meant that you know Celtic obviously kind of dominated the ball and, and had a bit of an overload. Um, I thought a goal for Celtic seemed inevitable from the start, and they got one very quickly, four minutes or so. Um, it was brilliant movement from Edward to kind of drop deep and then flick it around the corner for El Yunusi and a good cross and... Uh, Forrest, um, Scott Sinclair-esque I guess in terms of getting across and in front of the defence to tap in so we might see maybe his goal return in those type of areas um, coming up this season if Elianusi can continue to do that um, after that um, I, I kind of thought that the floodgates would open and it would be very very difficult for Hamilton at that point um, Hamilton sat very deep and as I said they played with two forwards up top so they, you know, they, they, they didn't have much going on in midfield in terms of being able to press or being able to progress the ball but Celtic couldn't really make many further good chances um, they had 12 shots in the entire game which is um, not a huge amount for Celtic against you know one of the lesser teams in the league and they only had a couple of those on target so they kind of failed to make um, many um, proper chances I thought one of the issues for them was maybe whether Ryan Christie was suited to a game like this. Um, so he, he can be effective in terms of having a long-range um, shooting um, weapon in his arsenal, which we saw against St Johnston. But he's not a great passer um, in terms of threading things through or, or maybe linking up um, in a really, really creative way. Uh, Rogic was on the bench and, and eventually you know was introduced. Um, but it might have been a game for somebody like that from the start or maybe if Celtic had had 
um, McGregor playing in a higher up role or even if McGregor had been um, as a deeper playmaker instead of Scott Brown and instead of it being a double pivot it just being a six and then that had allowed maybe them to have um, Nietzsche in the t- team as well for better ball progression and to get more people into the box. Anyway, so I, I just, you know, Celtic were incredibly comfortable throughout, um, were rarely threatened. Um, Ayer and Julien were both very dominant, but um, I think they'll regret not getting some more goals and, and testing the goalkeeper more. The, the other um, final thing I wanted to say is that I thought Bolongoli did really well. Um, I think we touched on it um, after the game against Rangers that to me at least it looked like his execution of passing, which had been a problem previously, had improved. Maybe just a bit of confidence, maybe just a bit of getting used to his teammates' movements and things like that. But I thought um, he was really good in that regard in, in this game. Um, just you know, previously in the, the games earlier in the season, maybe if he'd gone to make a pass to somebody, a short middle-distance pass, it wasn't quite to the right spot for them, or maybe sometimes he would mess one up. But he pretty much got them all right, and some of them are even quite risky passes. We talked earlier about he might be able to give them some more kind of value-heavy passes, and he, he likes a kind of diagonal pass um, into the attacking midfielder, um, like lower along the, the ground, quite driven. And he did a couple of those, and, and kind of impressed me. Um, so that that was kind of my thoughts. Um, um, a tough tough task for Hamilton, who kind of sat deep even after the fourth minute goal, um, but. I guess they can in some ways write this off and they've got a big game next week against St Mirren away. That's the, the real one for them, I guess. Yeah, totally. I, I was just wanting to focus in on just a couple of things quickly. Um, I thought uh, Bolignoli, Elianusi and Edward had some really nice movement between the three of them. It looked like uh, at times when Edward was pulling out wide, Elianusi was going through the middle and Bolignoli was offering the overlap down the left, um, which caused Hamilton a lot of problems with that sort of interchange. Um and I think that's something that, you know, that sort of passage of play looks like it'll suit Celtic quite well and, and probably get the best out of Bolognoli. Um I think you're right, as, again, with... Uh, he looks like he's more confident in what he's doing now. Um, I'm still concerned about his uh, defensive capability in the European games. Um, I think watching the, the AK Stockholm game, he was, he was quite poor in that defensively. Um, so it'll be a, a big test for him uh, this coming Thursday with uh, Ren away. So I look forward to seeing that. Um, one final thing on the Celtic game. Uh, Neil Lennon made a comment after the game about how uh, Julian had a blackout during the game, but then later went back and sort of recalled the comment. Um, mm. One thing, that, and we're, we'll probably not get into it too much, but one of the, my concerns about uh, football just now is the the lack of anything to do with concussion and, and head knocks uh, in the game. Um, there's in, uh, Just uh, for anyone that knows me, I'm a big fan of American football. Any head knock is reviewed by an impartial doctor, not a club doctor. Um, so I think that's something that football could potentially look at. So, so yeah, uh, moving on um, to the other side of Glasgow. And Rangers were 3-1 victors over Livingston, but don't let this result fool you. Um, Livingston caused Rangers a lot of problems and actually I think uh, yeah, the result maybe flatters Rangers a little bit um, 
So Livingston took the lead through uh, Stephen Lawless penalty with a quite a rash tackle I felt from Scott Arfield um, for the opener. What was your sort of thoughts on this game, Owen and, and Livingston? Uh, well, I, I thought this might be a bit of a test for Rangers. Um, I, I thought it might be quite an interesting one to see, you know, how Rangers could break down Livingston. I also thought that it might be quite interesting. L- Livingston, at least when I've seen them um, this season, um, and I, I have seen them in person or. or they're playing a, f- a four at the back now instead of a three and are maybe trying to pass the ball to defence a wee bit more than what we saw last season. I was a wee bit concerned, having seen them do that, as to whether, if they did that, how that would go against Rangers or Celtic or you know one of the bigger teams in the league. Um, I only saw the highlights of this, so I'm limited in terms of what I can speak on. I did see that Rangers had 23 shots, but of course some of them could have been you know down to game state a wee bit later on. Um so it looked to me from what I saw that um, in terms of the difficulties for Rangers well it looked like they had some issues defending set pieces um, so the the penalty that you mentioned it looked like that that was off a kind of second ball from a set piece and our field was kind of rash on um, I think it was Lyndon Dykes um, and then there were some other instances later on where either from wide free kicks into the box or for cor- from corners and things like that that um, yeah, Rangers um, didn't do too well with set pieces and you know we kind of know if there's one thing that you maybe want to ensure that you're doing well against Livingston it would be defending set pieces um, I think maybe Rangers have a bit of a lack of capable man markers outside of Goldson and Katic so if you've got a lot of players that you know you would need them to mark um, you might be in uh, for, for a bit of success also I think maybe McGregor is a little bit less proactive these days um, at these kind of situations that he might have been in the past um and yeah, so so that was kind of interesting. Um, I thought beyond that, um, there were a few kind of notable things for me. Um, so uh, Iman Souda didn't start. Maybe that was for Livingston as part of a plan to have a bit more tactical discipline. Um, it looked to me like Lyndon Dykes, who you know we both really like, um, did really well. Was a, a real kind of nuisance. Um, but you know he, he did get sent off. I, I thought that the first yellow. I, th- I thought the first yellow was fair enough, but it looked to me like the second one, I, I don't know if that was a yellow. It's difficult to tell from the highlights, but um, it-, it seemed a wee bit harsh. Um, um, I guess that what you would say as well, apart from the difficulties for Rangers in terms of set pieces, is that there were some positives. So it looked to me as though Aribo was you know, maybe playing closer to goal um, than uh, at times. Also, at least until he got injured, having Ryan Kent means that the pitch is kind of stretched um, on the left side for, for Rangers, which can benefit um, Aribo in terms of getting you know more space to operate in. Um, it might also mean that um, you know if, if he can drag people out of position, that maybe opens things up for Halliday and, and, and Kent. Um, I think you know Rangers are maybe helped as well, perhaps by trying out our field a little bit deeper. Um, I, I think although he was you know, hugely successful at a certain point in the kind of 4-3-2-1 um, just off Morelos last season. I think that's maybe faded into not being quite so successful an approach uh, and maybe he needs to be in an area where he's got more time and there's less pressure on him to make quite so intricate passes. Um, and I think the other thing that was notable for me from watching the highlights was um, the comparison between Morelos and Defoe so if you maybe you know compare how Defoe was against Celtic the lack of 
movement and link up play and mobility and so on compared to Morelos. It, it looked, you know, Morelos was available. You know, things were getting knocked around the corner by Aribo for him. Um, you know, he had the, the thing you know that you know with Morelos is that. He's quite possibly going to miss chances, um, but he's going to get loads of chances, and if he gets loads of chances, he's eventually going to score some. There was the beautiful cross from Tavernier earlier on that you know you maybe expected Morelos to score a couple other things, but of course in the end he you know he does score, um, and it was good resilience for from Rangers I guess to get the result. Um, I, I think Livingston should be disappointed with a second goal, um, and. Yeah, it's a shame for them. They they did really well to take the lead and and give a good account of themselves. Um, I guess really big game for them next week with Aberdeen at home. Be interesting to see how they do against them. What what were your thoughts? What do you think of this? Yeah, so I managed to see this ninety, um, and there's a couple of things that I thought I'd quickly touch on. Uh, first of all, I'm going to break some uh, staunch Rangers hearts by telling them that Andy Halliday is not good enough to play fullback for Rangers. Uh, he was absolutely dreadful. Uh, you didn't see it on the highlights if you just seen the sports scene, but Livingston had a goal ruled out, uh, which shouldn't have been ruled out. Uh, Halliday with some dreadful defending uh, in the middle of the pitch and sort of tried to knee the ball from about 20 yards away from the Rangers goal back to Alan McGregor for some sort of pass back and some, and some sort of weird move. Um, he fell to the ground after his failed attempt and the referee gave him the free kick. Uh, after I think it was Stephen Lawless ran through and, and slotted it past McGregor, it should have been two one Livingston at that point. Um, Halliday again, his yes, he supports the club and he wants to do well, but he's just not got the quality for me. And and there was a couple of times I thought his passing was off. Um, I think Rangers just need to give Barisic that chance, and I think he deserves that run in the team. I think just before. The, the Celtic game, he actually played probably one of his best games for Rangers. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's something that hopefully Steven Gerrard can recognise. Um, Brandon Barker coming on for the injured Ryan Kent. Uh, he was really effective when he came on and he'd done a lot of the same things that Kent does. Um, he was very direct, running at players, played out wide, cut inside, um, was a real thorn uh, in Livingston's side when he came on and uh, probably had more of an impact overall than Kent did before his injury. Um, so yeah, I think in games where um, Barker maybe gets you know that uh, opportunity to run it at teams, I think he could have some success. Uh, and just to finally echo on your thoughts on Morelos versus Defoe, there's there was so many examples of Morelos winning free kicks in Rangers half. Um, you know, and that just tells you. You know, he was trying to connect a play, trying to link up with players. Jermaine Defoe isn't doing that. Um, and that's something that I felt that was really hampering Rangers uh, before. Um, so, yeah, Rangers get the three points and they move on to Feyenoord uh, on Thursday. And hopefully the coefficient gravy for both Scottish clubs is piping hot. Um, so, to, I guess maybe something that isn't piping hot, and that's uh, all things at Pataudry right now. It's not looking too great for Derek McInnes' Aberdeen after a one-inch draw with St Johnston. A lot of Aberdeen fans are, you know, on social media are quite concerned about the performances uh, and feel that McInnes has maybe taken them as far as you go out. Uh, sorry, as far as he thinks... No, oh, I'm struggling to speak here. Derek McInnes has taken them as far as he can. Uh, and uh, what's your sort of thoughts on that then, Owen? Do you think that McInnes is maybe getting a bit stale? Um, well, it certainly seems like Aberdeen fans uh, in the main seem to think that. Um, and I guess... You know that might be true. Um, it looked 
like a bit of a dire game overall this. So I think there were seven shots for Aberdeen and eight for St Johnston. So not not a lot of entertainment going on in that game. Um, I, I guess. I mean, what what would Aberdeen fans want as his replacement? I, I guess that would be the question. Um, it, it, it seems to me. Would this be the right point at which to dispense with them? Well, no. Um, I mean, I, I could certainly see that they might be a bit frustrated and would want things to improve, but um, they're in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, which is, you know, um, coming up pretty soon. They're, they're in fourth in the league, um, you know, just kind of four points off, off Rangers. Um, yeah, their, their form has been patchy, and I don't think the football's very good, but um, I don't think they can get rid of McInnes at this point. Um, whether they would want to or not um, I think that might lead to further slides um, in terms of the match itself uh, well yeah it, it wasn't very encouraging for Aberdeen um, there's if, if you want to go and look at my Twitter account there's there was some bizarre defending at times there's one particular screenshot that I posted where um, it's just prior to St Johnston's goal and I think most of the focus on St Johnston's goal might be down to Joe Lewis's error in goals but there are seven Aberdeen players in a kind of row um, strung uh, from side of the pitch to the side of the pitch the, the last line of defence is bizarre uh, very weird structure um, and you know it's indicative of their kind of ball watching midfield and, and kind of strange approach in, in this kind of um, set up quite often appears to be kind of massive holes in front of the Aberdeen defence I think if you can draw Ojo out to the wing then you've got a good chance of kind of creating a, a big hole um, so yeah uh, I don't know troubling times for Aberdeen but I, I don't know if they can dispense with McInnes it's certainly not the right time for that what, what do you think do you disagree do you think that it's time to go I guess maybe not in terms of the timing but I do think they're you know, with all the new stadium facilities, etc. coming up at Aberdeen, maybe you want to look at, you know, what is your future plan and, and how does Derek McInnes fit into that? Uh, I mean, in terms of developing players and getting a fee for it, he's not got a great record of that. Uh, he tends to let the contract run down. Um, so for me, yeah, I guess you you maybe want to see how does he fit into your long-term strategy. But as of right now, I, would, I think you would be silly to... Um, to get rid of Derek McInnes. So just quickly on St Johnston then, um, it looked like the new signings had a bit of an impact. I think Tony Ralston had a pretty good game from all accounts and from the St Johnston fans that I've been speaking to at work, uh, a lot of them were raving about the energy that Jason Holt brought to their midfield from the very first minute to the end and that's something that we spoke about before, um, how his box-to-box ability might actually you know, support uh, St Johnston quite well in their transitions because previously they could be quite slow with um, my guy Murray Davidson, you know, traipsing through mud as he does. Um, uh, but yeah, and uh, then Stevie May came back. So I think maybe that just injection of some, you know, fresh players, you know, maybe different approaches has, has given them a little bit of a spark. What's your thoughts on? Um, how much of a spark do you really have if you're just picking up draws? I mean, that's what, in their last five games, three draws and two losses. I think, um, look, St Johnston need to win some games. Um, that's kind of clear, right? Um, yeah, uh, it might be that these players have helped improve things, um, but um, they've only scored five goals. Um, they've got um, pretty bad goal difference by dint of you know the Celtic match. They host Rangers next weekend. 
Um, there's the possibility they might have a heavy defeat in that. So I'm not quite sure that they have turned the corner yet. They're, they're still winless. Um, they're second bottom. Um, I think if, if we skip beyond the, the Rangers game, they play Motherwell at home on the 28th of this month. That's a really key game for them. Um, I think there might be a narrative building that Mother, you know St Johnston have turned some sort of corner, um, but I think that's partly just because they have some new signings and they've they've not lost. I think they could quite easily lose to Rangers and Motherwell, um, and then you know they could potentially be bottom at the end of that at the end of the month. So I'm I'm not on that train quite yet. Sure, I guess my my my. Uh statement of spark is maybe going from nothing to at least something as a positive right <laughs> sure yeah um, okay so um that's true so yeah we'll we'll wait and see how that that gets on in perth just in terms of aberdeen uh, if i may um just some concerns about them as well so they've only scored seven goals in, in five games too so we, we spoke about the kind of defensive issues earlier and, and the kind of midfield but that's a problem too um they've got livingston away um who obviously might be problematic to score goals against and then Rangers away after that so two pretty tough games coming up um, I think that um, yeah Sam Cosgrove um, just to check back in our kind of scoring bet around him and, and so on so he's played four uh, full matches in the league this season 490 so far he's got three goals but two of them were penalties um, so I, I still think that Aberdeen aren't really creating um, proper amount of kind of open play chances for Cosgrove, um, and they need to find a way to get some more um, goals. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. Um, it, it is looking like there's there's definitely some issues at Aberdeen, and um, they've definitely got to try and uh, you know rally back. And I think part of the issue is McInnes doesn't know his best team. Um, I think there's quite a lot of changes on a regular basis for that Aberdeen starting eleven, and it, there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason. And this weekend, obviously. Con McLennan, you know, after coming off a, a really big high with uh, his performance for the 21s uh, to then, you know, not starting feels like maybe a missed opportunity in terms of momentum. But uh, to move on to Dingwall and Ross County were 2-1 victors over St Mirren. Um, and yeah, what was your thoughts on this one then, Owen? Uh, well, this is a kind of interesting game. Uh, what stood out for me? Well, uh, I was kind of interested to see how Henderson, who's on loan from Celtic, did. Um, he looked pretty good. Um, really enjoyed some of the moments when Ross County were kind of passing through midfield. They got some nice, um, I think we've spoken about it before, some nice fluid kind of movement and passing at times. Um, as well as Henderson, I was quite impressed by um, another youngster, Harrison Payton, a 21-year-old Canadian. Um, he, he looked really nice, quite tidy, good movement, good passing at times. Um, and Ross Stewart got yet another goal. Um, I think he's now got three league goals in five games, so that, that's really impressive. Um, the other kind of key thing, maybe to... Well, two other things, I guess. Um, so I was a bit surprised to see Foster starting at left-back for Ross County. I guess that's to accommodate Marcus Fraser at right-back, but um, Foster got uh, two... Well, I guess you would call them hockey assists, so the pass before the pass that leads to the goal. Um, so he, he made a good run and cross for the opener, and it fell to Stewart, who lashed it in. Brilliant finish. And then for the winner, um, Foster was pretty direct and positive when the ball came to him, passed it on, and there was a cross for uh, Fraser, who got the winner. So that, that's kind of interesting um, that Foster had that impact from left-back. The other thing I wanted to point out too was um, Kyle McGuinness. 
who um, had two really good runs and shots where he hit the woodwork um, twice. Um, very unfortunate, but he's um, definitely a player to watch. Um, I really like the look of him. Very uh, positive, confident, can beat his man. Um, so th- those are the kind of things that I took away from this game, but it's a really, really um, good win for Ross County in the end and a bit of a da- disaster for St Mirren. Um, things are looking a bit tough for them. That's three losses in a, a row and they've only scored three goals in five games. Um, kind of struggling. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. There. Just to quickly, first of all, touch on Ewan Henderson. I think if you wanted to loan him out to another Premiership team, I think that Ross County is probably one of the the better fits because of the approach the approach that they have um, I think you know you could easily put him to a team that you know for example say Hamilton uh, you're maybe not going to get the, the best out of him or you know you're not going to he's not going to learn the things that you want him to learn um, so I think that's a really smart move by Celtic and Ross County um, to identify that um, Ross Stewart I think he's he's a he's fallen into the sort of Lyndon Dykes categories of players that I like um, so I'm excited to see how he kicks on and I, it was a really nice finish I thought for his goal as well um, so you know that was good to see um, in terms of St Mirren I I worry about where, where are the goals going to come from for them um, I think Obika and Morris uh, Morris look like they've got uh, a lot of engine and effort but maybe not a lot of quality um, and I don't see where the creativity comes from with um, you know Sam Foley really good defensively um, Kyle McGuinness is good at sort of driving forward but he needs more round about him to support him there was a couple of times where I felt that he broke the lines pretty well but then there was a lot of sort of or there was a lack of movement in front of him and you know the two sort of attacking players for St Mirren felt really static to me Um so that would be something that I would be concerned about from uh, a St Mirren point of view. Um, so yeah, uh, lots to, lots of you know good points for for different clubs there, and some concerns for others. Um, and it's just good to have club football back. Um, but but to put things back to a sort of national level, we said we would speak about uh, some of the Scottish players playing down south. Um, you know, there's been a a few uh, that maybe could have been in the squad that weren't in the squad for the recent um, national team uh, fixtures. Uh, Liam Lindsay, hint, hint. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and do you want to talk me through just a couple of the players that you're, you know, you've been impressed with or any players that you want to speak about that are uh, currently applying their trade uh, down south? Yeah, so I've picked out two people, um, two kind of contrasting people to look at. Um, Scott McTominay and Stuart Armstrong so the, the reason I picked these two guys out is that they have a bit of contrast in terms of the number of minutes that they played so far this season um, so McTominay has started all five league games for Manchester United so far this season um, they play FC Astana this Thursday in the Europa League which might be one um, to look out for to see if he starts that game away um, I, I get as well I mean and then they are away to West Ham on Sunday um, kind of rivals, I guess, for the top six, essentially. Um, he was man of the match at the weekend versus Leicester in a 1-0 win. Um, th- there was kind of a couple of things that struck me about this game. Um, so I-, I watched quite a bit of this. Um, and it was a bit of a different setup for uh, Manchester United and specifically for McTominay. So Pogba wasn't playing in this game. Um, and often McTominay has played as the kind of um, main defensive midfielder, anchor, kind of behind McTominay. 
Pogba to allow Pogba license to, to roam. Um, but in this game, um, McTominay played as part of a double pivot. He was on the right-hand side and on the left was Matic. Um, and that meant that McTominay had a bit more responsibility on the ball. Um, and I'd thought for Scotland in the games um, that we shall not speak of anymore, um, he looked quite good when he was dropping deep to pick up the ball, looked pretty confident, didn't mess things up when he was facing his own goal. But maybe in terms of being a playmaker, it wasn't quite there. And, you know, his cross-field balls were a little bit hit and miss. Maybe give me a, some palpitations in terms of the prospect of them being intercepted. But I felt against Leicester, he showed that maybe he can be a bit of an influence with his, you know, the ball at his feet, um, driving and passing. He did some pretty good cross-field balls. He dealt with the challenge of uh, Hamza Chowdhury, his kind of opposite number, quite well. Was kind of potentially big physical battle but he, he did pretty well so uh, it kind of made me think um, as much as um, yeah McTominay this season for uh, Manchester United has been doing a lot of interceptions a lot of tackling winning fouls and so on I was kind of wondering about the prospects of him for Scotland alongside a kind of disciplined defensive midfielder we might want him to be that disciplined defensive midfielder but there's a possibility that he might have a little bit of something extra to bring I don't know how that would work because, you know, I don't know who the disciplined defensive midfielder is, where that leaves people like Cal McGregor and John McGinn and so on. But it's just interesting to see the opportunities and try some things out. Um, the, the other person, in very brief, that I wanted to mention is Stuart Armstrong, who is the kind of opposite um, in terms of minutes so far. So he hasn't played a full 90 minutes for Southampton since um, December of 2018. He's had no starts this season. Um, I don't really know if he fits Hassan Hüttel's style. Um, I, I had concerns when he made the transfer to Southampton about how he'd fit because I sort of feel that Armstrong doesn't work in a double pivot, um, that he maybe only really works in a kind of three-man midfield where there's a fair bit of security behind him. Um, Southampton have varied their formation a wee bit this season, but it's not really been a role he could fit into, in my view. So they played a kind of 3-4-2-1 at the weekend versus Sheffield United. He came on for the last five minutes. They played a sort of 4-2-2-2, kind of boxy um, formation um, against Manchester United. He got on for 20 minutes. He did 20 minutes against Liverpool. Um, he, yeah, I mean, I think last season um, he, he didn't perform particularly well. He gave the ball away quite a bit. Um, didn't really, in my view add a lot to the team when he did play um, but I would, I mean I really like him, um, I, I love watching him for Scotland, I want things to go well for him, um, I mean I'm sure he's you know, not too upset about you know drawing his 40 grand or whatever he's on um, <laughs> every week but it would be nice if he was playing a bit more and starting some minutes um, this Friday um, Southampton play Bournemouth so it might be an opportunity to see Stuart Armstrong up against Ryan Fraser. Um, so that would be one I would love him to start. Uh, what What about you? Any kind of Scottish players down south that you want to kind of talk about? Yeah, I opted for two players that were missing from the last squad to talk about. Um, the first one, I think, I'm not sure what it is, but Tom Kearney, it doesn't really seem to matter what he does. He never really seems to get a, any sort of... Um, length of service in the in the national team setup. I know it's a position of strength, but when you look at what you just spoke about with Stuart Armstrong, Kearney plays, you know, every single week for Fulham. He's a captain. Um there's, you know, already this season he's got uh three assists, uh a goal as well. Um he's averaging three key passes uh per game. Um so he's someone that can create. 
um, on a regular basis, and he's always also averaging one at least one shot on target per game as well. Um, to me, that's maybe something that when I think back to the games, yes, they were against uh, Russia and and Belgium, but we just lacked a little bit of creativity. Um, and I wonder if Kearney sort of hampered with the fact that um, Alex McLeish tried to play him as a you know sort of right winger, and for whatever reason. Um, that people have this in his head that he's not good enough for Scotland, um, but actually, you know, he's played a full season of Premiership football, um, plays regularly in the Championship, uh, and for me, I think that's someone that maybe, maybe could bring something to the squad that we we don't have just now, uh, and that's you know, maybe similarities in terms of Armstrong and what he does, but I think you know, playing regularly and being sort of uh, match sharp, match fit these sort of things will have an impact on your performance. Um, so for me, that would be something that I would want to see, um, you know, Steve Clark look at for his future squads. Um, and I do think that Kearney could offer something. Um, and again, I, the other thing that sort of stood out to me with him was, we spoke on last week's pod about Robertson's, um, maybe the armband's quite heavy on him. Uh, and I'm, by no means am I saying that Tom Kearney should be Scotland captain, but just that leadership quality, uh, to you know, to help support Robertson um, is maybe something that could be vital in terms of uh, the cohesiveness of the of uh, the squad that Clark's building. Um, any thoughts on Kearney or anything? Uh, yeah, I completely agree with uh, that. That it would be very nice to see him in the squad. I, I don't understand how he's had so few caps over the ages. Um, yeah, um, it, it's perplexing. I do think you're right that recently um, people probably have the wrong view of him, at least among Scotland fans, because of um, how he was used against Costa Rica, for example. But you can see um, in, in terms of how he plays for Fulham, what he could bring for us. It's a pity that he's not been included earlier. I mean, he's all, I think he's almost 29 now. Um, so, you know, um, unfortunate. Um, could have been, uh, I think, a really good option for us at the kind of 10 role um, somebody to be a real creative passer and I guess that this one uh, the final player I wanted to speak about was Stephen Fletcher, uh, I was looking at some stats and you know Fletcher's got a really good record for Scotland recently, uh, he's, he's came up pretty well for us um, there was one stat that really stood out to me and that was he's averaging 6.6 aerial dual wins uh, per 90 um, for Sheffield Wednesday this season and to me, that just felt like, you know, I'm thinking back when we were launching the ball up to Ollie McBurney, and McBurney was pretty much, you know, he wasn't able to, to win the ball in the air, or if he was, he was sort of isolated and couldn't do much with it. Maybe Stephen Fletcher uh, and that and those games uh, could have offered us something different in terms of actually being maybe that bit more savvy in terms of knowing how to win the ball, if you get what I'm, I mean. Um knowing how to use his body better uh, in these sort of aerial battles. Um, as well as, you know, Fletcher's got four goals this season for Sheffield Wednesday already, and I think it would be a no-brainer for most Scotland fans to have him back in the squad at least, um, you know, if we, if we had that option again. Any thoughts on Fletcher? Um, last week you were all about youth versus experience. He's 32 years old. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I see where you're coming from. I think in the games, what was it, Albania and Israel about a year ago, um, it was a really impressive uh, setup to me where, in effect, we had 
I guess it was Fraser, Christie and Forrest kind of behind him. And, and you're right, he was performing a really good kind of target man link-up move where those three could go beyond him after he won the ball. Um, so in terms of style, um, yeah, I can see that working. I, I just don't know. I mean, what what's the kind of plan? You, you going to start him in 2020 if we make it there? Uh, I, I don't know. I think um, maybe you have to see if McBurney can be the guy that does those kind of things for you. Maybe there's an opportunity for McBurney to learn from Fletcher, though, um, in terms of, you know, the the way to... Because to, McBurney's better with the ball at his feet, no doubt. Um, and I think Fletcher's... Because uh, he's not the most built-type player, Stephen Fletcher, um, but I think there's, there's some similarities between those two players that could actually help McBurney from an international perspective. But you're right, I, I was, you know, uh, full-on Billy Gilmore, future captain of Scotland, um, starting the next game, and now I've sort of swung the pendulum a little bit for Stephen Fletcher. But hey, I'm allowed to change my mind, right? Um, <laughs> so um, I guess what I would say is, you know, for any of our listeners, if there's any players you think that we've missed out um, that you'd like us to talk about, then just hit us up on Twitter. Um, but just to, before we um, wrap this episode up, uh, we said that we would really feel our age and we would really make um, ourselves feel bad about that so this week um, Hamilton Aki's had two players who have football dads own do you know who they are? Uh, well the dads are Alan Stubbs and uh, Jan Ayafjortov yep you're spot on yep. so first of all big props to Hamilton for signing players based on who their dad was <laughs> absolutely it's a good strategy right it's probably better than what they've had before um, so uh, Sam Stubbs and Marcus Fjortov uh, both started for Hamilton this weekend. So we said we would have a little look at some of the other sort of 90s kids, if you will, um, and their famous dads and their now soon-to-be famous sons, I guess. Um, Owen, do you want to kick me off with a player that you're excited about or anything that you've seen from any of these kids? Uh, well, it's definitely got to be Owen Jorkaf, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, to be honest, he hasn't excited me too much, but it is remarkable. So Owen Jorkaf, who's at St Mirren, not only is his dad, Yuri Jorkaf, who, you know, of course, we know from uh, the heights of Monaco, Inter Milan, World Cup with France, being at Bolton. Um, <laughs> his grandfather was also um, a France international. So Jean Jorkaf got 48 France caps, played for Lyon, Marseille, PSG. So quite a family there. But um, yeah, more, more seriously, some other uh, people who I'm kind of excited about. Um, well, I guess the first one would be Erling Braut Halland, who's um, 19, uh, plays for RB Salzburg, um, but was born in Leeds. He's the son of Alf Ingef Halland, um, who you know you probably know from uh, his appearances for um, teams in uh, well England, I guess, and and Germany, yep. I think, and That's Austria. Famous Roy, yep, Roy Keane tackle, yep. yeah. Um, so Brout Halland is uh, having a phenomenal start to his career as a professional footballer. I think he made his pro debut at the age of fifteen. He's got loads and loads of minutes under his belt. Um, he got some kind of buzz. Um, by scoring nine goals in one game for Norway in one uh, in the under twenty World Cup. Um, prior to that, RB Salzburg had snapped him up from I think Molde for just five million euros or so. Um, he this season, um, RB Salzburg are undefeated with seven wins out of seven in the league. He has scored eleven goals in his seven appearances, including two hat tricks. Um, he's also set up a bunch for other people. He. 
seems like a ridiculous talent. He's six foot three. He looks like Thor playing football. <laughs> <laughs> I think he uh, he loves to drop deep, and then he's got good feet. He turns and then just he runs at people, and he just barrels through people. It's like I don't know. Itchyuk Piezu, but with you know actual skill and mobility and so on. He's really mobile. He's really tall. He's wide. He's deadly. He's strong. Um, I, th- I think he's absolutely fantastic. So very excited by him. Um, I guess. Um, do, do you have one? Just on Haaland quickly. I just wanted to ask you. Um, so Celtic last year were really strongly linked with Haaland, um, and you can you can easily Google those sort of reports. It was reported on numerous outlets that Celtic were were uh, heavily linked with him. Um, do you think that maybe at that point, so 2018, Celtic still had Dembele? Do you think that maybe that he wasn't as high a priority as he could have been? Potentially. I mean, it's very difficult to know what's going on, you know. Speculation, um, right? It, it may be that Celtic were very interested, but maybe Haaland wasn't very interested. or maybe, I, I don't mean that in a you know, dismissal of Celtic. Um, just... There would have been lots of other options for him. You can imagine there were loads and loads and loads of clubs that were into him, and he had to make his choice pretty carefully. You know, you've got to think about what's going to be most beneficial. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was the case that Celtic didn't move properly. We don't know that. So what you're saying is Ronnie Dyla talked him out of it. <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten about that kind of connection. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. Celtic do have you know a fair amount of Norwegian connections. So. Yeah, um, it's a pity for them, I guess, that that never came off. Um, but Haaland certainly seems to have landed on his feet at RB Salzburg. He's doing brilliantly. He's really, really a player to watch. Absolutely. So who you've got another name for me that you want to talk about? There's a bunch of other people. I find this a really fascinating subject. Uh, you know, Maybe come back to this and talk about it in more depth another time. Um, I think just in, in terms of thinking about why somebody becomes a footballer, to what extent this is nature versus nurture, um, what being a kid of a footballer means in terms of access to facilities and so on, and um, you know, to what extent that um, causes people to then become footballers versus you know, natural talent and so on. It's just fascinating. There's so many people um, that have come through recently and, and will come through in the coming years that are kids of footballers. So you've got people like Justin Cliver, you've got Federico Chiesa, got Giovanni Simeone, um, Marcus Turam is maybe the next one I'd want to talk about, so he's 22 years old, moved to Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga this summer for I think about £8 billion um, from Guignomp in France, uh, he's a left-sided attacker, very very dribble heavy, I think last season he was maybe making about four successful dribbles every single match, which is a lot. His dad's Lillian Turam, who's one of my favourite footballers of all time, um, possibly one of you know the, the first examples I really saw of a kind of two-way fullback um, when he played at fullback, somebody that was sensational attacking but also defending, and was also you know one of the best centre backs there's ever been in my opinion. Um, so uh, Marcus Turam is somebody that I have a little bit of affection for as a result of that. So somebody whose career I'll be keeping an eye on, um, and I guess um, another kind of curveball in terms of people whose parent is a recent high-level footballer that maybe people don't really realise is Leroy Sané. So Leroy Sané, he's now 23, so not, not the youngest of this group, but, um, you know, German nationality. But his dad um, was, uh, or is rather, Suleiman Sané, who had 55 caps for Senegal, and he played for teams like Freiburg, Nuremberg, Galatasaray. Um, Sané's mum is also an Olympic medal-winning gymnast, 
Um, so quite the kind of lineage there, and I just find it fascinating to kind of read about um, the kind of parents of these players and think about this. There's loads of examples in, in NBA basketball, for instance, of lots and lots of players um, coming through, and maybe NBA is the sort of thing that selects a little bit more for physical attributes that might be a little bit more linked to genetics than, than football might. Um, so maybe more likely, but maybe it's just that it's hard to tell why things happen quickly in one area and not the other, but this is something to keep your eye on, I think. Um, I, maybe, I don't know, you can imagine that Cristiano Ronaldo has probably already got his kid um, training for 10 hours a day, as it is, so he might be one to watch. And I think, you know, Lionel Messi, his kid Thiago, who's very, very young, is already in a kind of youth set at Barcelona. Um, that's partially just because you know, you can, you know, obviously you're going to allow Messi's kid to be in a team, but who knows, be interesting to see, you know, who's the the ones that are another couple of steps down the line that are still to come through. Any that you have your eye on at all? There's just what, what I just want to talk about one quickly, and he's not had a lot of limelight uh, as of yet, but that was uh, Daniel Maldini, um, who got his first senior appearance for AC Milan this season. Um, when you were talking about uh, Lillian Turam, I, I think we both did. We both loved, you know, 90s Serie A, and Paolo Maldini was someone that was just incredible, right? Um, and... Daniel can hopefully take the mantle from uh, the failed brother Christian, uh, who's obviously disappointed the Maldini family. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how that goes. And you know, there's obviously like Luca Zidane as well, um, who you know um, is a player that is at at Real Madrid. Uh, how much he'll actually play is obviously to be seen. Um, and then uh, Chiesa at Fiorentina. Um, so Federico Chiesa, uh, whose dad is Enrico, um, he's someone that, well, going back to Enrico Chiesa, he was another player that I used to love watching. And uh, and I think it's interesting, when you were just talking about, you know, uh, the similarities there, I was thinking about how Haaland, um, is he a good striker because his dad has helped him do the things that defenders don't like? Has his dad, you know, taught him that way? But then Chiesa, is he, is he good because his dad's told him how to do the things that he done because they play in a similar position. So it's just interesting these things like you mentioned. So yeah, I think you know that is a, a subject that I think we'd both love to spend more time on uh, and maybe in the future that's something that we'll, we'll do again soon. But for now, uh, we'd love to thank you for you know taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you've enjoyed it, tell a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. Um, you know it really helps us grow the podcast the support over the last few weeks has been awesome um, and we can't thank you enough for listening Owen can you just tell the listeners where if they want to tune into you anywhere where they can get you uh, best place is on Twitter uh, my handle is at Owen James Brown and uh, just to echo what Gavin said thank you very much for listening thank you and you can find us at twitter.com forward slash purefootball see you again soon